The Durban thing is very important, just like the Richards Bay, you know. Richards Bay, that's where we export our coal, and we know that we are one of the major producers of coal in South Africa. And then as well, you know, when it comes to Durban, you know, most we've got a lot of oil which is coming through our Durban. We've got a lot of agricultural products going out of Durban. So it's a very important one, let alone the the N3, you know, bringing stuff this side of the world and even going further, you know, to other provinces. So those are the very most important harbors. So it's good news, it's very pleasing that, yes, they are up opening for business and at least things will start getting back to normal. Mm. How long will it take? We are not sure because definitely there's a backlog, you know. So, but yeah, I think we'll be able to clear that up at some point. I think that's the price that unfortunately we have to pay as a country. Makwe, talk to me about, um, I guess, you know, the implications here because it doesn't necessarily mean we're out of the woods. I mean, I remember just before this mess started, uh, Porsche Derby out at Transnet was saying uh, just over 100 kilometers of rail line had been affected by the stripping of coal uh, sorry copper and we can see i guess you know with the copper prices why people would be doing that um but um yeah i think the situation clearly has made that a lot worse so even if you do have the security there's still a massive job ahead to try and um, i guess uh, get some of those lines that have been derailed back on uh, back online i i think it goes back to what you've been saying that covid exacerbated things but the unrest has even done even well mm. because remember before COVID we were just struggling as the economy as we are saying. I mean the rails were not doing okay, you know. Hence we've even had having companies like your Kumbas of this world complaining, you know. And even now that the rail constraints continues to be one of these big things. So definitely we know that has been an issue. But now we just made things very, very worse, you know by having those kind of unrest as well, and also COVID. So yes, we still have a very long way to get out of the woods. The problem here is when you start raising your head, as if you are getting somewhere, then you get to be knocked down by something else, something unforeseen. And it may be the question of as much as we've seen governments spending almost 16 trillion US dollars to try to revive the economies, central banks spending almost 7.5 trillion, you know, combined to revive the economies. Mm. The very effort, the very speed that we're using to fight COVID, I think we need to put that in place. You know, that same effort and speed to try to have the structural reforms in this country and also globally, then at least that we will be able to close that huge gap that we've seen on the global output of almost 22 trillion US dollars. Mm -hmm. And and I guess, you know, uh, this also feeds into some of the debates that have been happening. I mean, if you think about our ports um, and the uh, reorganization there of uh, our ports authority, um, so I guess, uh, yeah, a lot on the uh, table of Porsche Derby and uh, many of her divisions within uh, the Transnet banner. Uh, but, uh, yeah, also, I guess, uh, many, many tasks of restoration, not just on the coastline of the province of Guazul Natal, but also for many, you know, in the uh, uh, inland of KZN. I mean, I saw Makwe earlier on this week, I think on, yeah, it was yesterday morning, a report coming out from one of the landlords uh, out in Richmond and Nongoma side. Uh, I mean, it was hectic. 
um, you know, the burning of some of those, you know, shopping centers. And I guess in the urban context, there's potentially more alternatives. Um, so you might not necessarily, after the burning, have a, a shopping center in your neighborhood, but you can go to another neighborhood. But um, sure. if you're speaking about some of these smaller, secondary, peri-urban towns, um, you know, that shopping center is probably, the, I guess, the, the locus of uh, consumer retail activity in many of these towns. And you burn that and effectively you find yourself in a somewhat of a pickle. Definitely, you know, hence people are starting to complain about food shortages and the unfortunate part, as you're saying, you know, some of those stores, remember, Aya, companies or the shop owners, whatever, they've been struggling because of the lockdowns. And before the lockdowns, they were even struggling because the economy was doing well. And one of the easiest things to do, Aya, if things are not working okay as a business person, it's easy to cancel your insurance. So most of those small businesses might not even have any insurance claim. And even those who do have an insurance claim, bro, you still have to pay excess. And on top of that, should even your insurance claim be honored, you're still going to lose opportunity. There's there's huge opportunity cost because there will be lost days of trading because you have to make time, you know, for those shops to be able to be rebuilt, stuff like that. So the impact you're still going to feel it for a long time. Mm. Yeah, the, this is going to be a tough one, Markwe. But uh, of course, I guess, um, you know, um, some might argue that at a macro level, it's uh, quite ha- helpful that uh, Platinum Group metal prices are where they are because uh, it might be able, I guess, to offset the impact uh, for the fiscus of uh, many of the disruptions that we've seen out in KZN and Gauteng. To some extent, but I think we've reached the peak. I don't think companies will be doing that good anymore because remember, why were those PGMs going up? You think we've reached the peak of the the price cycle? I mean, do you you share, who's that fellow there at uh, Sibanye? Uh, Neil Froneman, he he was saying something similar over the last week or so. Yeah, I mean, because they're coming from a low base and there have been huge demand, people have been stocking up. You know, all those various things have pushed prices up. But when things start to, nobel, to normalize, then you'll be now moving from a very high base, so we're not going to see those kind of price increases. I mean, do you expect to see the likes of... Uh, Anglo Platinum making profits of almost or increasing profits by almost 578%. We don't think so. Yes, we've seen that the price uh, the, 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 the price increase have been almost 29% when it comes to the PGM. But you are comparing that to a period when things were almost not working, when we were almost in lockdown, or when people just managed to reopen and trying to, pro- to ramp up production. So I don't think I, I will still see those kind of returns. But yes, we'll still continue at least to make decent returns. And remember, even last year, December, we've seen that these are the companies that help at least our revenue services to be able to collect enough money, you know, more than what you expected. But we don't expect to see a repeat of that kind. Mm. Let's talk about production. I mean, because I guess the other part of um, the sales, once you've looked at the price environment and uh, what you're selling uh, each ton of uh, PGMs for, is of course uh, the ability to produce at levels that respond to that price. Uh, and it seems Anglo-American Platinum quite happy that um, you know the uh, I guess uh, tapering off of COVID-19 uh, um, in the period under review, um, allowing them. I guess, to run a normal shifts, if not more, to uh, ramp up production here. And uh, they certainly have managed to do that, uh, seeing increases in uh, their production uh, coming through here, uh, which are going to lead, I guess, to uh, also strong increases in their earnings. Yeah, but I, 
when you get back to normal, I mean, you've not been producing, then you start producing at 50%, now you're at 100%. So what mm-hmm. more capacity do you have? You can only take so many people down there, you know, to be able sure, to, sure. To, to mine. You can only, you only have certain numbers of hours in a day to be able to mine. So hence I'm saying, yes, production might continue to improve, but we don't expect it to shoot out the lights. It's just like the sales part of it. You've been having people stockpiling, so there's been huge demand that motivated you to produce more. But after those people have stocked enough, what else motivates them to be able to stock more than what they have? Hmm. So, so I mean, Mark, if, if you look at this, not just in, in the case of Anglo, but, I mean, there are many other platinum producers, you know, I think of uh, the guys at Sabanye, Northam, uh, and others. Uh, I mean, if, we, if we're at the end of the price cycle, oh, sorry, if, sorry about that. If we're at the end of the price cycle here, Mark, um, then what implications does that have for production levels in the mining sector? I mean, often if uh, prices have reached the levels that they've reached, you often expect them to tank. And, and and not necessarily at the end, but at the point where things are stabilizing, I people see. things should start growing at a very steady pace. But hey, there's been demand because uh, people, governments or authorities, especially in Europe, are very strict when it comes to emissions. Hence, we've even been seeing the demand, you know, when it comes to those metals. But I, uh, at some point, you know things have to normalize. At some point, you should have enough of that mineral. At some point, people should be having, I mean, met all the regulations going somewhere. And at some point, people find alternatives when price is going up. Remember, at some point, platinum was this thing before it was overtaken Mm. by palladium. So all I'm saying is these things, they get to a point where you reach, you guys used to call it equilibrium, but it's <laughs> it's a question of will that equilibrium really exist in real life, but it, it might not, but we might be near equilibrium. So hence we are saying that we don't expect to see a repeat of the current situation where people have huge production, where people make huge earnings increase. I mean, when is the last time, Aya, that you head of a company making a headline increase of over a thousand? I mean, yeah, that's bro. under normal circumstances, and we appreciate that for now. But the question is, if you get involved, you know, with that in mind, I think you'll be disappointed. Yes, you can still continue to make decent profits, and the guys will continue to reward you as a shareholder, mm. paying you dividends. But yes, don't have that kind of an expectation. I heard something, Mark, where, uh, from you know people who are in the know in this sector that um, there are even, I guess, non-platinum synthetics that uh, sure. are substitutes for you know uh, the role of platinum in autocatalytic converters and you know in other applications of platinum. Um, I mean, what implications is that going to have? Because you're saying potentially we might be in a plateau of the price uh, uh, cycle. But in addition to that, it seems many of those who demand our platinum um, are, you know, in an environment where they can substitute away from that platinum. You know, take rhodium itself is also becoming popular. Mm. And as a manufacturer of anything, you look into your input costs. So if one of your inputs, say, is platinum in this instance, is quite high, then there's an alternative at a reasonable price. Definitely, you will move to that alternative as long as it does still do the same job. And yes, the minute you move to that alternative, because of the demand, then you'll see that alternative price also going up, and the other one might start going down. So you will continue to look around for cheaper raw materials 
So those alternatives will definitely be attractive at some point, up until prices thereof are no longer that attractive, or it gets to be proven that they are not the real substitute, not giving you exactly what you've been getting from the likes of platinum or palladium, but it's just a question of demand and supply. And there will be new kids on the block, there'll, there will be mm. a boom when it comes to that, but they will also get to a point where the real guys managed to get to in this instance is your platinum and palladium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hey, I Marco Gunzima, Gunzima, Gunzima. Let's shift our attention away from uh, you know the uh, platinum group metals and stay in the mining sector. Kumba, now they, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I guess they gave us an update uh, earlier on today, and uh, yeah, production and sales report uh, for the six months ending 30 June 2021, and seemingly a good showing. Uh, seeing their perform uh, their uh, operations, uh, seeing a twelve percent increase in production, sales mm-hmm. increasing by three percent as well, and uh, also I guess, yeah, uh, seeing some rail constraints, and uh, also uh, suffering from adverse weather out in the port of Saldana. And 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 back to what we've been saying, you know, ah yeah, yes, the guys will be increasing or they expect profits to go up by almost hundred and eighty two percent. Why? Because the average iron ore price has been going up. Why? Iron ore is used in, in green and in making steel. And we know that there have been huge demand, especially the Chinese stockpiling, because they've got a very big steel industry and they've been worried that maybe they might not get enough iron ore. Hence, they've been stockpiling. So hence, iron ore prices have been going up. But two, three weeks back, we had the likes of the Chinese regulators starting to visit all these areas, looking for people who've been holding that iron ore, saying that these guys are artificially moving prices high. Mm. So what I'm saying is it goes back to what you've been saying, that at some point you just have enough stock, and then you just have to stop stockpiling, and the prices start going up. Iron ore prices, compare them to where they were six months back, they are just coming down a little bit. Yes, they are not falling off the cliff, mm. but they are no longer skyrocketing. But yes, the likes of Kumba, we have got the issue, the constraints about rail that, and also the issue about the, I think that the, at the ports or the harbor, the wet weather. Hence, their full year sales guidance has been lowered. So you have some kind of constraints that at some point they make you not be able to do what you did before. The previous results coming out of Ekumba, they were expecting to make far more than 182%. So that shows you that gradually things are starting to stabilize. And I think it's worth mentioning that for the past five years, Kumba itself never had any fatalities. Mm, mm, yeah, yeah, and I guess you know that's something we welcome because Hey, we know these mining produ- uh, production houses yeah, can lead to a loss of life. And uh, we certainly sure. have seen that across uh, many of our markets. But uh, let's talk just about, I guess, the uh, iron ore price here, both for wet and dry uh, metric tonnage. Uh, coming in much, much stronger than, I guess, you know, where we've seen prices average. Um, and uh, they were getting an equivalent of 220 US dollars per metric ton, well above that benchmark price of just over $160 per metric ton. Uh, just, I guess, speaking volumes about the type of quality of coal, oh, exactly. sorry, or, or, of iron ore that's coming out of uh, Kumba. I mean, uh, even in you know the global markets, uh, not the sort of type of average product uh, or, or from a price environment hovering around that average price, but uh, coming in much, much higher. 
much higher. And as you said, you know, it's more about the quality more than anything. You need to remember that Kumba itself, if I'm not mistaken, is the fourth largest producer when it comes to iron ore, you know, and the biggest in Africa. And then they continue to produce one of the best qualities. Mm. And maybe this we should give it to the likes of Anglo-American because remember that 64% owned by Anglo-American TLC, just like your Anglo-Platinum is yes. owned by Anglo. So basically, Anglo-Gold, I mean, Anglo-American TLC shareholders are smiling all the way to the bank. Yeah. But you are right, it's more a question of quality. But the question is, Aya, anything that we mine doesn't grow again. So at some point, that iron ore is going to be finished. Where, where's that sovereign wealth fund, Mark? No, because, no but I must ask these questions. Um, <laughs> and I ask it on behalf of the millions of South Africans who are listening into this conversation, who have heard people across yeah, the political spectrum talking about a sovereign wealth fund. Because sure. it's really about addressing the issue that you've just raised, Mark. These things are not replenishable. They are going to zopel at some point. And let's use, yeah, let's use the price environment that we have now. These are the kind of decent debates that you should be having and have an understanding, you know, how far it is, what are the issues, why is it taking forever? Because, yes, really, we're not going to be able to make this kind of money, especially when it comes to mining, forever. So we need to trap some of the money and diversify into other things. And then maybe we can start making good money as well. Is that that uh, gas that they've been getting at the coast? You know, that's another one that we could be using the proceeds thereof mm. to build up on our sovereign fund. But I think you are right. That's a very good and decent question. And I think as a nation, and these are the kind of engagements that we should be having, you know, and help where we can help. Yeah, because, I, I mean, I would think, Mark, that if you've got an iron ore industry that's in the top five in the world, you've got a manganese industry that is world-beating, you've got, with Zimbabwe, the largest number of the world's known platinum reserves, you then have all of these offshore uh, potential discoveries of gas and all manner of other things. Uh, and you know that these things are not going to be there forever. I mean, they, they don't have an infinite existence. Um, why are we not doing what many other nations have done? I mean, if I, if I think about the Sovereign Wealth Fund of places like Saudi Arabia uh, or even the United Arab Emirates. No way they've got one of the good ones as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No way as well, you know. Um, nations, and I mean, if you think about the tax rates of Norway, yeah, that's the other story. Um, mm -hmm. but, but I think what's important in those experiences is that you, you're also going to need a lot of money in South Africa to undertake a climate transition. Yeah. Uh, especially if you think about how SASO produces, how ESCOM produces, how many of our industry in this country produces. Um, and you could potentially be using some of these resources. Sabi so, Windfall Tax, Tadela Mali, and you set up, you know, a, uh, and you set up a, uh, you know, a, a seed fund that seeds your sovereign wealth fund. And you're right. And for the fact that we are moving into or we are buying or we bought into the idea of a, a global tax, a corporate tax mm. of a minimum of 15%, mm. it says something that we should find ways to be able to preserve as much money as we can, meaning tax collection is no longer going to be the only way, you know, that you are able to make money as government, you should find alternatives. And mm -hmm. this is another alternative as a government, you know, to be able yeah. to collect enough money. And probably that's the fund that should be bailing out mm -hmm. some of the state-owned mm -hmm. entities which are currently struggling. But we know ourselves, Aya, we are very good in putting things in paper. We all always lack when it comes to execution.
Yeah, and also helping, I mean, this is the money you could use to help your climate transition. But I think the other thing that one learns from the... Um, from the uh, Scandinavian experience is that yeah. you probably want, yes, to raise that money and uh, the seed for it can come from, you know, royalties, windfall taxes sure. and all of that stuff. But the allocative decisions should mm -hmm. not be made by government alone. Definitely. So, Look who, the, yeah. who, who, are, who are the guys who are trying to buy Imperial, you know? I mean, that Dubai company. Yes, I yes. Mean, is your, that's state-owned. How did they get their money, you know? So you are right that they can go a very long way and they can make a very huge, important impact that we all desperately need. Exactly, exactly. Makwe, we're going to have to leave Peter. it there, Brur, but it's always a pleasure. Alice Doli, Top Togo Zilebab. Sweet. That there was Makwe Masilela, Chief Investment Officer and Founder at Makwe Fund Managers.